Well, this Wednesday night, our uh, Encounter Youth Conference begins, and parents, it's going to be absolutely incredible. You know, something happens when hundreds of kids gather together in a concentrated environment where there's intense prayer, praise, and worship, and then the preaching and the ministering of the Word of God. Something happens inside of the heart of a young person. The trajectory of their life can be altered when they come and experience something as we are hosting beginning this Wednesday night. So I can't stress how important it is, moms, dads, to make sure your young people are a part of this gathering. And listen, we've had some generous people that have given to make sure that it's not a financial reason. It's only $35, but if your kid can't make it because of maybe some financial things, please go up to the table today and we will see what we can do. But it's never been more difficult for young people to serve God than today. I thought it was tough when I was in high school. Maybe some of you thought it was tough when you were in high school. Nothing compares to what young people are facing today. So uh, mom says, I want you to get your phone out right now. When's the last time you were in church and the pastor said, get your phone out? Get your phone out. Your kids are probably on their phone right now. Text them. Say, you are coming to camp to the conference this Wednesday night. Go on down right there. Coming this Wednesday night. Okay. Send it to them. And we got it all taken care of. Amen. All right. Stand to your feet for the, just out of respect because we love God's Word and we esteem God's Word. Uh, we're going to wrap up our series in the book of Acts. We're going to finish the 15th chapter. Next year, right after Easter, we'll pick back up again. Of course, I want to say hello and welcome to all of you that are watching live online. But we're going to read Acts 15, verses 35 through 41. Here we go. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. I love that phrase, the word of the Lord. They preached it. They taught it. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we've previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the churches there were strengthened, the churches here in our community, in our nation, in, our, in the world, they are being strengthened by the same word of the Lord being taught and being preached, by the same Holy Spirit that's alive and well and moving in the body of Christ today. Lord, thank you for this unfortunate story, this unfortunate falling out of two giants of the faith because of a misunderstanding. Thank you for the spiritual lessons that we can learn from this story that was divinely inspired of the Holy Spirit and recorded by Dr. Luke in the writing of the book of Acts. What are you saying to us today? That's what we ask, Lord, in this prayer. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and of all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. I've entitled this message, Ending is Better Than Pretending. 
And unfortunately, in this story, two great men of God end a ministry partnership and a friendship. Sometimes relationships end, right? Brad Pitt, Angela Jolie, Emma Stone, Andrew Garfield, Anna Ferris, Chris Pratt, John Senna, Nikki Bella, and the one that I am most heartbroken over, Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy officially in 2015, they called it quits. You know we're in trouble when Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy call it quits. There's been some very famous breakups uh, over the years here in our own country. In 1970, the Beatles broke up. Their problem started in 1969. Lennon, Harris, and Starr, they were clients of one particular management team, Alan Klein, and McCartney was managed by John Eastman, Lee and John Eastman, and they had a falling out, a controversy, and the group split up in 1970. Those of you familiar with the movie, uh, The Social Network, Mark Zuckerberg and Eduardo Saverin, they, they had a falling out. The one was apparently pushed out, and there was a, a breakup. And then, of course, probably the most famous, Steve Jobs and, and John Scully, 1985. Uh, Steve Jobs, of course, the founder of Apple, uh, was fired by the board because of a controversy that he had uh, with John Scully, who was the CEO at that time. But uh, you know the rest of the story. Eventually, they hired him back, and Apple is what it is to today. But in our story here in Acts 15, which is astounding, two giants of the faith, two Godly men, two great men of God have a quarrel, and their difference is irreconcilable, and as a result of it, their friendship, their ministry partnership is dissolved. What a true tragedy. All my years of walking with the Lord, some 38 years now, I remember when I was early, early on in my walk with the Lord, I was attending Chalwood Park Foursquare Church in Albuquerque, and an evangelist who I really admired, a young guy, dynamic guy, and I said, Lord, I know you've called me to preach. If I could be like him, that's the kind of preacher I want to be. And he really had a profound impact in my life. And he preached on this text once. I can remember that. And I remember the one thing to this day, the one thing that he said that struck me is that, first of all, I was shocked that two saints of God, Barnabas called the son of encouragement in Scripture, and, and, and of course, Paul, the greatest Christian that's ever lived, the most significant Christian that's ever walked the earth, the Apostle Paul, who God used to write two-thirds of the New Testament, that these two men had such a disagreement and such a falling out that they separated. And by the way, Barnabas is never heard of again by Dr. Luke in, in the book of Acts. And what a true tragedy. And I remember this evangelist said that this story is included in the Scripture to remind all of us that no matter how close you get to God, no matter how mightily you're used of God, at the end of the day, we're all flawed human beings. We all have feet of clay. And sometimes in life, we all have human moments. But there's a lot of lessons in this story. You know, first of all, not everyone that you start out with in life will you end up with at the end of life. Sometimes relationships, unfortunately, dissolve. John Glassworthy said, the beginnings and endings of all human undertakings are untidy, and how true that statement is. The beginnings of a relationship and the endings many times are very messy because, well, as humans, we're, we're quite, quite messy. You know, uh, when we begin this story of uh, the Apostle Paul and his first missionary journey, it really began with Barnabas and Paul. Remember in Acts 13, we talked about this about 11 weeks ago when we started our study right after Easter, shortly after Easter. And uh, if you recall, remember in Acts 13, it says that they were all in the church of Antioch and they were praying and ministering to the Lord. And as they prayed and fasted and ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke. 
And the Holy Spirit prophetically said, separate Barnabas and Paul for the work whereunto I've called them. And the Bible says that the the church laid hands on Barnabas and Paul and sent them out. And they traveled some thousand plus miles in their first missionary journey and together with the other team members. And John Mark was one of them. And they primarily were preaching in synagogues and then they would preach to the Gentiles. And many Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. And it was a glorious first missionary excursion, Paul and Barnabas. But something happened along the way, and we talked about this. All of a sudden, the leadership at the top changed, and there was a shift. No longer was Barnabas the leader of this missionary team, but Paul, sovereignly, divinely, for whatever reason, he became the lead guy. Paul was now the leader, and Paul would go on to become the most significant Christian that's ever lived. And uh, Barnabas is now taking kind of the second seat, and Paul is in, in the first chair. And this is the beginning of their second missionary journey. And what's astounding to me is, you know, when God speaks to you the first time, you don't have to wait for him to speak a second time. The first time, God, in the church, prophetically said, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I've called them. They laid hands on them, they sent them out. But now, in a very practical way, you know, God is a very practical God. And sometimes there are important decisions that we need to make that just based on the wisdom of God and based on what God has already said to us, we're to simply act on that. So they didn't need a hand from heaven, you know, showing up and writing on the wall, thou shalt go on a second missionary journey. They didn't need some divine prophetic revelation. They didn't need an angel to come down from heaven. No, Paul just simply said to Barnabas, hey, I think we should go back to all the churches, visit all those Christians, and just encourage them. And Barnabas said, you know what, Paul, that's, that's a great idea. Why don't we take John Mark with us? That's all he had to say. Why don't we take John Mark with us? Now, Paul was a hard-nosed guy. Paul the apostle was kind of the guy that would not take a vacation. Paul was kind of high-strung, maybe type A, opposite of Barnabas, and usually opposites attract. The Bible tells us about Barnabas that he was, he's called the son of encouragement. So Barnabas, as an encourager, wanted to give John Mark a second chance. Paul was having none of that. Paul said, no way, we're not taking John Mark with us. John Mark deserted us. That's a strong word. John Mark went AWOL when we were in Pamphylia and we're not taking him on this trip. And they had such a disagreement, such a falling out, they couldn't reconcile their difference around John Mark. You know, I'm a little upset today with John Mark. I've got some unforgiveness in my heart that I need to ask the Lord to, to, to take care of because when I get to heaven, I want to have a few words with John Mark. Because of him, these two great men of God had a falling out. You know, he should have been dependable. He should have been more dependable. The Bible says, you know, reliance in an unfaithful man is like a, a, a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. You need to be, you need to be a dependable, hardworking, loyal individual. And John Mark, we don't know why. We're just speculating. He, he bailed on that first missionary team. He bailed on on Barnabas, which Barnabas was his cousin, according to Colossians 4.10. He bailed on Barnabas, and he bailed on the Apostle Paul. Why? I don't know. Maybe he got bored. Maybe he wasn't happy with the Wi-Fi connections in all the cities that they were going to, and, you know, he couldn't play Fortnite at night, whatever, with his buddies. I don't know. More than likely, his feelings got hurt. You know, when the when, the tough, uh, when it gets tough, the touchy get going. Maybe he was just a little bit too touchy and didn't like, you know, Paul's sarcasm. I don't know. Maybe he had a gypsy spirit. Some people have a gypsy spirit. You know, they're, just, they're here one day and they're, they're gone. Like, where'd they go? I don't know. They're just, they're roaming. I've been to Australia, and in Australia they have a, a term uh, amongst the, the uh, uh, aborigines called a walkabout. 
And uh, for no reason, for no apparent reason, a, an individual would just leave. And they're like, where'd they go? They're on a walkabout. I thought, well, there are Christian walkabouts that happen in churches all the time. You see somebody one Sunday, like, where'd they go? I don't know. They're gone. Where are they? We don't know. My wife and I ran into some individuals, and God bless them. We're talking, how you been? And, and you know, hey, you know, we hadn't seen you. What, 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 what church are you going to now? And they said, well, we're not going to church. We're having church at home now. You know, I'm the wrong person to ever say that to. If you ever, God forbid you ever leave this church and I run into you, don't, don't tell me you're having church at home. You won't want to hear what I have to say next, okay? Uh, but, you know, it's just, they're no longer there. The, John Mark was a deserter. He went AWOL. You know, uh, maybe the conditions weren't up to speed. He didn't like the Motel 6s they had to stay in. Maybe the ministry budget was a little low, and they were expect, he was expecting a Marriott every night in every city. But he had, he had, you know, we'd leave the light on for you, Motel 6, and he just said, I've had enough. Maybe he missed his mommy. That's probably what happened, you know. Anyone that has two first names, John, Mark, and, and it's, you know it's from your mom. And you know you're, when your mom calls you by your first name and your middle name, you know you're a mom. Boy, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging. But, you know, John probably started missing his mom. He just, ah, I just miss mom. I need to get back to mom. I don't know. But he bailed on these two men of God. He bailed on his ministry team. He deserted. Paul said, I'm not having that again. I'm not putting, the ministry, I'm not putting this, this trip at risk. Who knows what he might pull this time. Now, who was right, who was wrong? Well, both of them were right. But a lot of times the question isn't who's right, who's wrong, it's what's right. But let's look at this incident from both perspectives. Here's Barnabas' perspective. First of all, he's blood. There's a little nepotism involved here. He has, you know, he has a, a sense of commitment to his cousin. And so Barnabas is oh, looking at this situation, and there's nothing wrong with it. He says, I believe this ministry trip and you, Paul, and this team, the ministry can be a benefit to John Mark. The way Paul was looking at it was not how can the ministry benefit, benefit John Mark. Paul was looking at how can John Mark benefit the ministry. So on a practical level, on a practical level, Barnabas was right. But on a spiritual level, Paul was right. And the reason Paul was right was because, well, he was the leader of this ministry team now. And under, properly understanding spiritual authority, Barnabas had every right to, to submit his request and, and, and to to defend and to, and to argue and to petition his request. But at the end of the day, the call was Paul's, not Barnabas's. At the end of the day, Barnabas should have said, I think we should take him. And, and Paul said, no, we shouldn't. He deserted him. But like, well, he's changed. He had to change a heart. And he's like, no, he's got to reprove himself. Well, back and forth. But then at the end of the day, Barnabas should have said, okay, Paul, it's your call. I'm good. Let's go. That didn't happen. And as a result of it, they had an intense falling out. Now, in verse 39 of Acts 15, when it says they had a sharp disagreement, it's an interesting Greek word that is used there. It's the Greek word paroxysmos. And for those of you that know Greek, there it is. And there's the transliteration of that Greek word. And here's what's interesting about that Greek word. There's an English word. There's a, there's, from that Greek word, we get our English word periaxiasm. Paroxysm denotes, get this, a violent act of uh, emotional outburst. A violent emotional outburst, such as a sudden attack of violent expression, a particular emotion of activity. Synonyms to that English word where we get from this Greek where we get our English word, a spasm, an attack, a fit, a burst, a bout, a convulsion, a seizure, seizure, an outburst, an eruption, an explosion. Wow. This was no tidy gentleman's disagreement. Are you following me? 
These are two great men of God, two giants of the faith, and basically they're at one another's throat. How many know they both probably needed some time off? They needed a vacation. They needed to chill a little bit, you know. Wrong time, wrong place, wrong day, and rah! It's called the unstoppable force paradox. You know what the unstoppable force paradox is, right? What happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? You have conflict. And that's what's going on here. You have, you have conflict. And each saw this matter in this situation from a different perspective. It's not about who is right as much as what's right. You know, but this story does remind us that at the end of the day, we all have human moments in life. How many of you have had some human moments over the last few months? Raise your hand. How many of you have a problem not telling the truth? Raise your hand. How, how many of you had a human moment on the way to church? It just seems like, you know, the enemy attacks couples on Sunday mornings on the way to church or Saturday nights on the way to church, you know. And uh, we have to set aside those human moments and just know, hey, God loves us all the same. God loves us all anyway. But the Bible is filled with men and women who were not angels. They were humans like us. I, I love what James says in the book of James concerning one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, Elijah. He said he was a man of like passion. Elijah had his ups and his downs. He had his mountain peaks and his valleys. He had his moments of great sorrow and disappointment. He actually battled loneliness and depression. At one time, he said, I've had enough. Take my life, God. I don't want to live any longer. Elijah. One day, he's calling fire down from heaven, defeating 450 prophets of Baal, mightily used of God in mighty miracles. The next day, he's so down in the dumps, he's like, I don't want to live anymore. Maybe you've been there. Elijah, a man of like passions, same struggles. We are all mere human beings, flawed human beings. The, the fault line of sin runs through all of us. How about Abraham? Abraham's the most popular man in the world because hundreds of millions of Jews, hundreds of millions of Jews, Muslims, and Christians refer to Abraham as their spiritual father, or their earthly lineage is traced back, if you're a Jew, to Abraham. Abraham is known as, as really the greatest man of faith, the first man God ever entered into a covenant relationship with, Abraham. And yet, you know, Abraham did. He lied. His wife was so beautiful when he traveled with her. <laughs> he lied that she was his sister, which really is a half-truth, uh, because he wanted to save his own skin. He was basically willing to put Sarah at risk of joining some king's harem in order to save his own skin. How about Jacob, one of his grandsons, Jacob? He lied and deceived his own father. He betrayed his brother out of his inheritance. Moses, one day, God was so mad at Moses, God wanted to kill Moses. Ever read that in the book of Exodus? His wife had to intervene. Zipporah had to intervene on Moses' behalf so that God wouldn't kill him. How about King David? He, he committed a dastardly deed, didn't he? Peter, he denied the Lord. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Are you kidding me? And we see that in the Bible, all these men and women, all these people are just like us. They're flawed human beings. And so this is a human moment in the life of Paul, this great man of God, in the life of Barnabas, who's known as the son of encouragement. You don't have to look very far. Just look at some of the giants of the faith, people like uh, Martin Luther, 
who started the Protestant movement, or John Calvin, or Jonathan Edwards, or Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that's ever lived. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You can get his sermons, hundreds of sermons online. You can read the things that this man said and taught and preached. You know, Spurgeon smoked cigars and drank adult beverages, which I'm not encouraging, nor would I encourage you to do. He was a workaholic. He worked 18 hours a day. He preached over 10 million people in his lifetime. He battled depression at times in his life. He wrote over 150 books. By the way, he died at 57. (laughs) Maybe not. In other words, these great men of God, we learn from them, but we don't follow everything they say or everything they do. Martin Luther, he made this candid assessment of himself, and I'm quoting, I am rough, boisterous, stormy, altogether warlike, fighting against innumerable monsters and devils. I am born of, for the removing of stumps and stones, cutting away thistles and thorns, clearing wild forests. It's attributed to Martin Luther that he said these words, love God and sin boldly. He also said, love God, sometimes I hate him. I know that's irreverent and should never come out of the mouth of a child of God. And yet... He said these things. How many know you shouldn't always follow what your preacher says? You should not always follow what your pastor says. You should not always follow what your mom or your dad or or somebody says. There's sometimes people may cross the line. And there are times that these great men of old, these great giants of the faith, had human moments. Like somebody calling right now in the middle of a sermon. (laughs) Pick it up, say, why are you calling? Why aren't you in church? That's what I want to know. Unless it's a husband over here calling his wife or they say, you need to be listening to this. <laughs> human moments. Barnabas and Paul were having a human moment. But the sad reality is this. I really truly believe that Barnabas should have deferred to the apostle Paul. And he should have said, okay, it's your call. My relationship with you is more important than this disagreement. That didn't happen. And we never hear about Barnabas again in the book of Acts. Now, God didn't create this separation. God didn't cause this, but listen, God used it. A lot of times when we have falling outs in a partnership or, God forbid, in a marriage or in a friendship or even in a church, there are times churches have splits, irreconcilable differences. God doesn't, God's not in that, but God can use it. God's grace, God's love, God's power. He still loved Barnabas. He still loved Paul. And here's the beautiful thing. Something good came out of it. First of all, instead of there being one missionary team, Paul and Barnabas, now there's going to be two missionary teams. Barnabas takes John Mark and goes to Cyprus, and we can only assume and speculate that he had a a fruitful ministry. God blessed his word. He always, he confirms his word. He he watches over his word to perform it, Jeremiah 1.12 says. So we know that, that Barnabas had a fruitful ministry, But the story doesn't follow Barnabas. The story follows Paul and Silas in his second missionary journey. God still blesses. You know, in the long run, Silas was a better ministry team member for Paul than Barnabas was. You know, Silas was a Roman citizen, according to Acts 16.37. He was a prophet, according to Acts 15.32. He was multilingual, according to Acts 15.22 and 32. And he served as Paul's stenographer, according to 1 Thessalonians 1.1 and 2 Thessalonians 1.1. So at the end of the day, it actually worked out better for Barnabas, and it actually worked out better for the Apostle Paul, which means there's a principle here. 
When something or someone leaves, that means something better is coming. You have to believe when something or someone leaves your life, you have to believe by God's mercy and by God's grace, something better is coming. Now, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a few words with John Mark. But in, real, in all reality, this, this story does have a beautiful ending. Towards the end of Paul's life, he's in jail, according to church history. But he writes one of his final letters, this we know, and one of his final letters is 2 Timothy. And look at what, he comes to the end of his letter, and look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Oh, there we go. Luke is the only friend I now have with me. Maybe if Paul wasn't wound up so tight, uh, maybe if he had better people skills, no, I don't know. But Luke's the only friend I have now with me. Call for Mark, this is John Mark, on your way and bring him with you for he is a great help to me in my ministry. Something happened and there was a turnaround. John Mark had a change of heart. Something changed in John Mark. He matured. Something happened, and now towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life and ministry, who's the guy he's actually calling for? At one time, he was not profitable for him in the ministry, but now he's become profitable for the Apostle Paul in his ministry. How many of you know with God you can always make a comeback? Let's give it up for all the John Marks that have made and are making a comeback. Amen. That's the beauty of this story. We don't know if Paul and Barnabas ever reconcile. They're never found together again. Paul makes an honorable mention of Barnabas in one of his letters, writing to the Corinthian church. He does mention Barnabas in Galatians 1 when Peter was caught up in hypocrisy. He said Barnabas was also swept away in it. So there's an honorable mention of Barnabas, but they may not have reconciled. But the beauty is that John Mark made a comeback. Church history, we can't confirm this, but church history does say that John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark, that he actually ended up developing a great relationship with Peter, and John Mark recorded Peter's account of his life with Jesus in a gospel attributed to the Gospel of Mark, John Mark. So I want to give you some three practical things that the Lord gave me to share with you about ending instead of pretending. Sometimes you have to end a friendship. Sometimes you have to end a partnership. Marcus Tullius Cicero, 20 BC, philosopher, poet, and politician, he said this about friends. He said, the right friend becomes a second self. I like that. A right friend becomes a second self. So think about it. Ending a friendship is like ending a second self. You're losing part of yourself. But he believed, this great philosopher believed thousands of years ago, that there are times when you have to end a friendship. There are times when you and I, as regrettable as they may be, you have to fire a friend. Have you ever fired a friend? Cicero believed that ending a relationship was necessary, and sometimes you have to end it if that friend makes an immoral request of you. Young people, show me your friends or I'll show you your future. You know, uh, you, you, you become like the people you hang around. It's amazing, they say that your income is an aggregate account, an aggregate average, I should say, of the five closest relationships you have in your life. 
Not only do the friends you choose affect your income in life, they affect what you wear, how you dress, how you think, and how you act. You must choose your friends wisely. Better to be like Elijah living alone than to be like Lot living in Sodom surrounded by wickedness and wicked people. The book of Proverbs describes the people that we should avoid, those easily offended, Proverbs 18, 19. A foolish person, Proverbs 13, 20. Violent people, Proverbs 16, 19. Disloyal people, Proverbs 18, 24. And hot-tempered people, Proverbs 22, 24. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17 that iron sharpens iron so that a friend sharpens that of a friend. We need friends that sharpen us, not friends that stab us in the back. And what you need is not so much friends, you need confidants. There's a difference in having a friend and having a confidant. A study published in the American Society Review suggests that Americans these days have fewer close friends and confidants than 20 years ago. The results suggest people may be living lonelier, more isolated lives than they once did. In 1985, the average American had three confidants. The latest results show that the number has dropped to two, with even one in four Americans claiming that they have no close confidants at all. A former pastor here, he was a staff pastor, Larry Kefauver, Dr. Larry Kefauver, once told me about eight years, nine years ago, he said, you know the definition of a friend, Carl? I said, no. He said two things to find a friend. Number one, a true friend is someone that you can walk up to and ask to borrow $10,000, and if they have it, they won't bat an eye, they'll give it to you. I said, will you be a friend like that to me? <laughs> <laughs> he said the second friend definition of a friend is you can call them in the middle of the night from jail and you need to be bailed out and they'll bail you out and on the drive home they'll never ask you what were you arrested for a friend a confidant so many people boast of how many friends they have on facebook that is laughable a real friend is someone that you can share your secrets with and you know will never betray you. Sometimes endings are unavoidable, and when they are, three ways to do it according to what the Lord showed me in my study out of 1 Samuel. Sometimes you have to end abruptly. Sometimes relationships, because of uh, a serial adulterer or because of abuse or abandonment, sometimes in a marriage, God forbid, you have to end it abruptly for your own safety. Sometimes in a business partnership, you have to end it abruptly. Sometimes in a friendship, you have to end it abruptly. In 1 Samuel 19, 10, it says, Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way, and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. You know, sometimes you have to end a relationship abruptly. I mean, it would probably be a good idea to quit your job if your boss begins to act like Hannibal Hector. <laughs> if he begins to show signs, right, of some serial killer, or if you feel like your life's in danger, you've got to escape. Sometimes you have to do it abruptly. Better to end than pretend. Forget what you feel and remember what you deserve in life when you have to end something abruptly. Number two, there are times that we need to end a relationship slowly, in step in stages there's a story I, I won't have, we don't have time to read it but in first samuel 15 when samuel the prophet realized that the kingdom had been rent from saul and was going to be given to another he didn't know who the other was yet but he knew the kingdom had been rent from from king saul because of his disobedience and samuel was going to walk away and have nothing to do 
with Saul. He was, Sam was going to walk away, have nothing to do with King Saul. And Saul pleaded with him and said, please don't do this to me. You must go back to the house of worship with me. The people need to see you honoring me in that way. Please just do that for me. So Samuel, instead of ending abruptly, he ended it slowly. And he slowly backed out of his relationship with Saul, knowing that God had lifted his hand from Saul's life. Sometimes you have to, in steps and through a process, end a relationship because it's really in your best interest. But thirdly, the third way to end is to end not abruptly or not slowly, but mutually in an agreeable way at a predetermined time. I think the greatest example of this is, once again, lessons found in 1 Samuel. You know, the greatest friendship recorded in Scripture was a friendship between two individuals, David and Jonathan. Jonathan was a prince. He was the son of Saul, King Saul. And upon King Saul's death, it would have been his legal, moral right to ascend the throne. But Jonathan, truly a prince among princes. Jonathan knew that David, his friend, was the one appointed and called and anointed by God to be the next king. And Jonathan was willing to step aside to allow his friend David to ascend the throne that rightfully, legally belonged to him. What a guy. Few men in the world like Jonathan. But the Bible says that they had such a unique bond, such a unique relationship, David and Jonathan, but their relationship regrettably had to end because of Saul's murderous intent against David. David was going to have to now run for his life. And there's a story recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 20 that is so interesting because they mutually agreed upon a predetermined place in time on how they would end this relationship. There was shooting of an arrow, and there was a sign and a, and a symbol behind that, and, and then one day that happened, then the next day they met again, and then they came together, and, and there was an exchange of items, and a covenant was made. It's a beautiful story of how two godly people can end a relationship if it's necessary to do it, and to do it mutually in a way that honors, honors the Lord and honors that relationship and honors that friendship. Before they parted, Jonathan knew that he would ascend the throne, and maybe Jonathan sensed that his time was running out. Jonathan, one of the greatest men that's ever lived, one of the godliest men recorded in the Bible, died in battle with his father, not because of his sins, but most likely because of the sins of his father, Saul. But David said that, Jonathan said this to David. He said, when you ascend the throne, be kind to my descendants. Many years later, once David finally was able to gather all the tribes and all the territory, and he became the official king over all of Israel, he remembered his covenant that he made with his friend Jonathan. And he said, are there any living descendants of Jonathan? And there were. One guy who was a cripple by the name of Mephibosheth. He said, find him, get him, and bring him so that he eats at the king's table. David remembered his agreement and his covenant, and he was loyal to it because that's what real friends do. May God help us. Then in our relationships, and I want to recommend a book, matter of fact, by Dr. Henry Cloud entitled Necessary Endings. I would hope and pray that each and every one of you, if you have not read that book, 
that you would download it on Kindle or go to the bookstore and get it, Necessary Endings. That sometimes we have, as Dr. Henry Cloud calls them, Necessary Endings. May we do it in a godly way. May it be done mutually in an agreeable way at a predetermined time so that we can retain and hold our integrity with Christ and with one another. I believe this story is there in the Bible for us today to teach us some powerful lessons and to remind all of us no matter how powerful you become in God, no matter how close to Christ you get, no matter how great a man or a woman of God is, at the end of the day, at times we all have human moments. But God is always bigger than those human moments. I want to leave you with four important thoughts. First of all, if you were another person, would you like to be a friend of yours? <laughs> that's, a, that's a real transparent, honest question. The next is, <clears throat> you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get people interested in you. That's from Dale Carnegie. And the third thought is, real friends are those who, when you make a fool of yourself, don't think you've done a permanent job. Let's all give it up for friends like that that exist. Amen. <clears throat> and finally, a real friend is one who helps us to think our noblest thoughts, put forth our best efforts, and to be our best selves. And you know, friends come and friends go. Sometimes you outgrow certain relationships and you grow in to new relationships. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. A friend that said he would never leave you nor forsake you, that he would be with you always, even to the end of the age. And that friend is Jesus. You know, one of the, amen. <clears throat> I think one of the greatest compliments ever paid to a human being in Scripture was paid to Abraham because the Bible says he was a friend of God I hope it can be said of you I sincerely hope it can be said of you and I sincerely hope it can be said of me that you and I are a friend of God James said read it for yourself in John 4 James 4 James said not a friend of this world so many are friends with this world but to be a friend with God. Like Enoch, he walked with God every day of his life. May you be one of God's friends in these last days. I like every head bowed, every eye closed. I know there are people here today and you've got unconfessed sin in your life. You're in the right place. You don't have to confess it to me or anybody else. That could be helpful if you have a confidant that you can do that to. But you ultimately need to confess it to God because he's the only one that can absolve that sin. He's the only one that can forgive that sin. And so I'm going I'm to lead everyone in a prayer. And if you need to confess sin to the Lord, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you've been away from God. And I'm so thankful that you hear his voice calling you home because he loves you. You can rededicate your life to Christ today. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus said, unless a man be born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. My friend, you must be born again. John 3, 3, John 3, 7 says, you must, you must, if you want heaven to be your eternal home. You say, well, how do I get born again? How does that happen? 
Romans 10, 9, the Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're going to lead you in a prayer. If you'll say this prayer with your own mouth and sincerely mean it from your own heart, God will forgive you. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you and Christ will come live in your heart. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord together.